Hey everyone, I'm Joe Chicarone, and this is Built Not Born, episode 82. Today's guest is Dr. Lucius Pomerantz. Lucius Pomerantz, known as Dr. Luke, is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon and hand specialist living in San Diego, California. Dr. Luke is a former MMA fighter. He's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu who trains at Victory MMA with the legendary Dean Lister and Jocko Welling. Today, Dr. Luke and I discuss how an orthopedic surgeon found his way into the MMA ring, the time his MMA training forced him to become a patient in his own hospital, the similarities between practice in medicine and training jiu-jitsu, and Dr. Luke goes into how we can minimize the risk of injury and have longevity, not only on the mat, but for life itself. Dr. Luke is an awesome guy. He is a wealth of medical knowledge. He has a great jujitsu mind. Dr. Luke shares some great information. Make sure you check his YouTube channel, Cut to the Bone, which is awesome. He's also on Instagram where it's not uncommon to see Jocko Willink and Dean Mister make an appearance. If you like what you're hearing, please hit that follow button. We have a bunch of cool interviews like this one to come. Enjoy my conversation with Dr. Lucius Pomerantz. And remember, life is built, not born. Dr. Lucius Pomerantz, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Dr. Luke, it's an honor to have you on. For our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your work, who are you and what do you do? Well, I'm an orthopedic surgeon, specialized in the hand, which also brings me further up the arm. And then I've got a hobby of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and I got my black belt a a few years back now, and I've put my time into that, and I'm just making my way through life. I love it. Dr. Luke, I want to get into your MMA career, how an orthopedic surgeon finds his way into MMA. Sure. Um, how you found jujitsu, maybe some life lessons that you learned along the way. Also, too, would love to speak to you about just longevity, how to stay on the mat, how to deal with injuries. Since we have an expert on the show like yourself, when to see a doctor, managing your ego and knowing when to tap and longevity, how people in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s can stay on the mat and enjoy jujitsu all the way into later in life, if that works for you. Yeah. Want to start back all the way from the beginning. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Santa Cruz, California, a little beach town with a very eclectic mix of people. You know, there's a, the University at Santa Cruz, the banana slugs, and um, and then there's the, all the old Italian fishermen, and there's the surf skate culture, and it's a cool town to grow up in. Lots of cool people. And sports and outdoor activities are a big part of growing up out there. If they asked, say, the 18-year-old version of Dr. Luke back in Santa Cruz what he wanted to be when he grew up, what do you think he'd say? <laughs> uh, it's a good question. I, so my parents, my dad was a firefighter. My mom was involved in city politics and was on the city council for a period of time, was mayor even of Santa Cruz at one point. And, Certainly, I was kind of raised with a sense of community and wanting to help the people around you. But they also never put a ton of pressure on me to become something. And 
So I think I kind of joke, my way of rebelling against that was to be a very structured, studious jock. <laughs> and, you know, the 18-year-old the me, I was, I was kind of young for college. I went off to college and I didn't have a plan. I think being a doctor was an idea. So I was always going to work hard in school, but I wasn't sure if I could do it. I wasn't sure actually, you know, what being a doctor meant. Um, and I had, you know, other ideas, but I knew I was going to want to have a job that was going to be helping other people. And if it kept me active physically, as well as mentally, then that was going to be good too. What was your first introduction to martial arts? When did you first step inside of an academy? Yeah. So very early on, I was probably 10. I think my parents enrolled me in a Taekwondo class and it didn't click for me. I think just as too regimented, you're, you're learning these katas and that kind of stuff and didn't click. And then my parents actually had me try an Aikido class. I think I was in my early teens and that was fine. I learned how to fall, which carried on to being a really important skill through through athletics. And I was always into sports, uh, whatever those were. And I was realizing in my early teens, that was really small compared <laughs> to my other classmates, just a late bloomer. And I started trying to look for things where size didn't matter as much. And I stumbled upon wrestling with weight classes. And, uh, and I'll consider that a martial art. And so I started that in, in junior high. Through that, wrestling coach of mine in high school, uh, Garth Taylor in Santa Cruz, one of the first American black belts. He, at the time, was, I think, only a blue belt, but put jujitsu on my radar. And I was fortunate to get a pretty early introduction to all of it in the late 90s. Do you remember your first jujitsu class? What school was it? Yeah, so Claudio Franza was the black belt. One of the, the few black belts who left Brazil after achieving some accomplishments coming up to the States to make a little bit of money and ending up in coastal areas as they did. And I was very fortunate. We were all very fortunate in Santa Cruz to have an excellent teacher like Claudio be in our midst. And so Santa Cruz got a little head start over other places. You remember your first lesson? You know, the exact specifics. Um, it kind of blurs together. I definitely remember some of my first moments. I remember getting beat up by some kids who I knew I was a better athlete than, mm. and I was a wrestler. And but man, you know, like okay, I took the guy down, but then he choked me. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, I got a, I got something to work on here. And then there was the I would jump in with the adult classes, even though I was a pretty small kid still, and get beat up there and earn their respect and keep showing up. But uh, yeah, some good times, not easy times, but valuable. My introduction here in Philly, there was a school, it was the first school on the East Coast and then Maxercise with Steve Maxwell. I was a, just basically a, a black belt in Kempo, like stand-up karate. I had my first degree black belt. I showed up, I heard so much about the Gracie's and Gracie challenge. And I just went to see what it was all about. I'm like, there's no way the, I think Ahorion had an ad in Black Belt Magazine said something like 20 hours of Gracie Jiu Jitsu will be 20 years of stand up martial arts. And I'm like, BS, no chance. <laughs> and then we walked on the mat. I was with Steve Maxwell. He put me in a headlock. He's like, what would you do here? And I had no answers. Like 10 years of stand up, like zero. The level of ignorance was just exposed instantly. And then he's like, do it to me. And I did it to him. And next thing I was in an arm bar on the ground. And I'm like, all right, where do I sign up? I couldn't walk around that level of ignorance. But it's crazy, right? right? 
Yeah, oh, it's crazy. And, you know, your experience and I think my experience and other people who stick with it, there's a thing like, all right, I've done my martial arts. I've done my thing. I'm a tough guy. And then you get exposed. And jujitsu definitely exposed a lot of people. And a lot of people just like, well, I'm not going to do jujitsu. <laughs> I don't need that shot to the ego. Whereas a lot of other people kind of like, man, I, I need to get better. I, I don't know what I thought I knew. And I can't handle myself the way I thought I could. So I got to get better. And it's a unique skill, I think, in some people, because I'm sure you've come across them. A lot of people, they get beat and they want none of it. That's almost you're speaking of a mindset. Someone, something or someone exposes your level of ignorance. Say in fighting, you were a wrestler, taekwondo, you thought you're pretty tough. I thought I was not bulletproof, but I thought I'd be pretty tough in a fight. And like instantly exposed of, wow, you have so much to learn. But some people run away from it. And some people run towards it. Where do you think that yeah. comes from? You know, I've thought a lot about it. I think a big part of it is humility. There's some people who think they're badass and they're the best thing ever. And when something forces them to question that, they can't take the hit. Their ego is too big. And it's easy to avoid it then, just not do it. Whereas I think people who understand they don't know everything, they want to get better it's easier to take that hit to the ego and work on it. And if you're not humble and you think you already know everything, it's that much harder to go and learn something new. That humility, is, it's almost like a superpower. If you have the ability to humble yourself enough to drop your ego and say, teach me this and be humble enough to learn the lesson where your cup isn't full, it's still empty in your mind where you could fill it with so much more. That's such a gift in life, right? It really is, in a way, a, a superpower. You can achieve so much more if you have an open mind and know you don't know everything and want to get better because there are people who are better than you or things you don't know and chip away at it. You can achieve really cool things just by having that characteristic. So, yeah. So not only were you on the path to black belt, which was, it's just a tremendous path filled of humility and injuries and time put in, but then you decide to pursue a medical degree, become an orthopedic surgeon. Could you pick two more challenging things to at the same time? Like, where's that come from? Yeah. So I guess I had the ability to kind of just put my head down and grind mm -hmm. and I'm okay with some delayed gratification. Yeah. And while two very different things, medicine and jujitsu, they, for me, balanced each other out. So they were helpful. There was a kind of a synergistic effect in being able to do both. So yeah, it, without one or the other, it, it would have been harder to do, do it all. And it took me a little bit longer maybe to get my black belt than if I had just been able to go straight through. And medicine, some of the days were longer. I was limping around the hospital because I hurt my knee or something like that. We can probably get into it later, but I, I did end up in the hospital at one point doing things and kind of made me reassess the intensity in which I was going after things. Lessons learned, but they all in all helped uh, a lot with each other. So you mentioned end up in the hospital. Was that the hospital you were like rounding in? Basically? Yeah. Yeah. Really? I became a patient. Yeah. How about uh, so I was training for an MMA fight and it was going to be my third MMA fight. That was always a goal to at least get to that number. I was training hard. I was in the middle of residency. I was not sleeping much already. 
And then I was trying to train like a professional fighter, getting two workouts a day. And I was driving, I was pushing hard and trying to do it all. And then I had to start cutting weight, calorie deficits and all that kind of stuff. And it was about a week and a half before the fight was supposed to happen. And I had a little scrape on my face, you know, whether it was Velcro from someone's gloves or I don't remember exactly, but it was bad. It started looking pretty bad and uh, go to the hospital, go to the emergency room. They all know me. And, uh, and, you know, as a junior resident, you spend a lot of time in the emergency rooms and they kind of take a look at me and it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, come over here. Let's give you some antibiotics or something. So I kind of like, all right, I'll take some antibiotics, you know, that kind of thing. And I got worse and worse and I just was not feeling good. And eventually they're like, look, if you're not getting better, you need to stay in the hospital and get IV antibiotics. And they drew my labs and my white count. Usually the white blood cells are elevated when you have an infection and mine was extremely low. And they were worried I might have some sort of cancer or something like that. So I was admitted to the hospital and got IV antibiotics and they kind of derailed the training and the fight didn't happen, but it was a valuable experience in the end. So you had some people in your program taking care of you. Did you have some of the residents that you worked with that were like helping you out when you came in? Well, a different problem within the orthopedic surgery realm, you know, an infection on my face, but they would drop by and kind of poke their head in the room <laughs> and like, hey, you okay? When you, when are you coming back to work? Um, but, uh, you know, the, the people, people were, were checking in on me and it was interesting to be on the other side of things. I bet. How about, so you mentioned your MMA career. When did you decide to enter MMA? How did that come about? Yeah. So certainly I'm not a violent person and certainly I wasn't picking fights growing up or anything like that. And I got in wrestling because I, I wanted to stay in sports and I was kind of small and found the weight class. Wrestling got me into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. But then in the world of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, especially kind of the early 2000s, there was a lot of uh, connection with the world of MMA and yeah. I had some good friends, good friends who were doing MMA and had an interest to, to see it as a personal challenge. Maybe, maybe I'll do that one day. And I was actually in medical school and I, I had stayed in touch with friends in San Diego and I was actually doing boxing at a gym in medical school along with jiu-jitsu. And they're like, look, we'll set everything up. You just show up in shape. Okay. You know, big person challenge. Let's, let's get after it. And so I was in my third year of medical school when I did my first MMA fight. Wow. Do you remember the moment when you walked out of the locker room into the ring for the first time? Yes. So a little more background. Athletics growing up, there was always anxiety before the competition butterflies in the stomach and just kind of feeling tight. And it held me back, certainly in competition, just to having that excessive anxiety and energy put into the wrong place before competition and wrestling, it really would show up. And I knew that was going to be my biggest challenge, you know, fighting in a cage in front of people and a little higher stakes and all that kind of stuff. And so my training in getting shape was also to find a way to get my mind right. So I really put a lot of work into that for the first time. And so I, I really, you know, did essentially I've, I stumbled upon positive, I guess, stress inducing situation that I've been in athletically. Of course, you know, there's a little anxiety, a little bit about the uncertainty that may come up. 
but I was prepared physically and mentally. And for the first time in an athletic endeavor, I felt ready, you know, and that was a powerful feeling. How'd your first MMA fight go? It, it went very well for me. I was able to get the guy to the ground pretty quickly and get into front mount. And he tapped out to strikes. Ground uh, and pound. Been, it, was less than, <laughs> it, was, it was less than a minute into the first round, I think. So it went well for me. Where, now, where are you in medical school at this time? Like, which year are you? Like, where are you in this? Is- it, it, third year. Third year. So you're, you're traditionally doing some clinical ro- rotations. You're done with kind of being in the classroom, you're in the hospital or in clinics, I was specifically on my family medicine rotation. So the hours weren't quite as long. Okay. And yeah, I had a little extra time to to fly out to, to Yuma, Arizona to fight. Wow. Was there any point in your like jujitsu or an MMA training? I have so many friends that are doctors and it's such a grind, especially your residency, where you could not train, where it was so encompassing the residency. You was like, I just don't have time to train. Did that ever come about? Yeah. Yeah. It did come up. Yes. Residency is a grind. The hours are very long. Another thing that makes it difficult is it's not your schedule. It's not you who's making the schedule. You're working under attending physicians who are the people who are teaching you. So you're kind of working with their schedule and their commitments. And then you're on call a lot, which is just unpredictable. You know, when people come in, you don't know when that's going to be. You have to start working again. And certainly within orthopedic surgery and other fields, there's not a shift. You work until the work is done. Mm -hmm. And so it's this just perpetual grind. And there just came a time and part of the catalyst in making me realize that I needed to reallocate my energies was being in the hospital and kind of doubling down and like, all right, I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon. I got to dedicate my resources to this and focus on that. So certainly along the way with medical school and, and residency, there were periods of time where I didn't get to do my jujitsu, which I missed greatly. It was always on the radar, but yeah, yeah. I didn't get to train much for a few years there. Kudos to coming back because I'm sure you know a lot of people are very talented in jujitsu and they either have kids or they get married and life gets in the way and and they put it on pause and they never get back to it. Like 10 years later, they never, they just never, one kid leads to two kids or one job leads to a promotion and they never go back. Right. And that happens a lot. Happens, happens a lot. And, you know, there's, everyone has their reasons for stopping, getting back into it. It's hard. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so there's another test of the ego. It's also physically hard. And it, for me, you know, it was an interesting experience. I, I was doing an extra year of training specifically in hand surgery. I was moving to Memphis, Tennessee for a year. And I hadn't been training for probably about four years with any consistency. My wife was staying in San Diego. So I was kind of alone. But all of a sudden, I had a little more time. And sure enough, pretty close to where I lived out in Memphis, there's a jiu-jitsu school. And I figured, hey, you know, let's get back into it. And for three months, it was really hard. And it was a shot to the ego. You know, I was a brown belt at the time, but I had blue belts giving me tons of trouble. Yeah, it didn't feel good to yeah. not be good at jujitsu anymore. And I noticed my body didn't move the way I expected it to move. My timing was way off. My yep. hips weren't, weren't flexible anymore. It was a struggle. 
but I, I kind of kept on showing up and grinding it out and things started clicking again and I found the joy again. Yep. And, and since that time, I've been fairly consistent. I keep showing up and finding the joy. Those two things, just keep showing up, having the courage and guts and humility, keep showing up and find basically those micro wins, you know, like yes. I had heard on Gracie on the show a couple of weeks back and he was talking about as you get older, you have to redefine what victory looks like or redefine what winning means where it might not be you're getting the gold medal. It might be like this person submitted me three times in five minutes. Now it was one time in five minutes and six months later, like we're even now. And that's a huge victory, right? You're redefining yes. what victory looks like. That helps you to keep showing up, right? Oh, yeah. Cannot agree more of setting the small goals um, with the medical degree and black belt. When I was in first year, freshman year of college, I'm like, all right, I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to be a black belt. And that's it. You know, that's pretty daunting. But if you kind of break it down and kind of work for certain things, just claw and scratch and grind yeah. away. And all of a sudden you pick your head up and you're like, whoa, okay. All right. Yes. And so staying motivated, staying on task, it's, it's all about setting those smaller goals. Small goals are huge. In the business world, one thing like I struggle with the big term goals. Let's do a five-year plan. In my mind, that's just totally worthless because you don't know what's happening next week, let alone next month. But those micro goals, all right, I'm going to roll with John today. If I sweep him once, that's a victory because I haven't been able to sweep him the last five rolls. If I'm working on my sweep game and I could sweep him once, I, that round is a victory in my head, no matter what happens yeah. the rest of the round. Real quick story. You mentioned about you went back as a brown belt in Memphis and the timing was off. I trained pretty hard for three years back in the day, right before I got married and the kids got my blue belt at Balance Studios here in Philadelphia. And I took six years off. I moved mm -hmm. out of the city. I had a kid. I had another kid. I switched jobs, redid a house, totally like six years out. And then I go, that's it. One day I'm going, I'm going back. And I went back and I didn't go to the beginner's class. My ego, I went right to the advanced class and it was a language I never spoke before. Yeah. Like it, it evolved in those six years. They were doing like these butterfly hooks and like, I had oh, yeah. no idea what they were doing. Some leg attacks were involved, which wasn't the case six years before that. And I felt like, like I was just so humbled. Like I, I'm on a blue belt. I'll be fine. I'll hold my own. I got destroyed for weeks and weeks and weeks. Yep. Crazy. Yep. And that is another thing is the game, the game of jujitsu evolves. And so fast. Uh, yeah. Yes. So you were talking about the footlocks and yeah, <laughs> I remember coming back and someone was talking about, oh, the parambolo. Yeah. What now? What is this? <laughs> and yeah, so it's crazy how fast the game changes with techniques as well as conditioning and all that other stuff that goes into getting back into it. One last question about your medical journey. How did you decide yeah. of all the subspecialties in orthopedic surgery? One, how, why orthopedic surgery? And two, how'd you land on the hand? Yeah. You know, so I never had the set plan. I had ideas. But when I decided on medicine, I thought I was going to go into emergency medicine. That seemed exciting and you get to do a lot of different things. You have a lot of different skill sets. And But when I started actually getting onto the clinical rotations in medical school, you kind of realize what may be on TV or <laughs> what was in your head is not how it actually goes. Um, and I kind of threw myself at every clinical rotation to see like, maybe this is it. And I started to realize that procedures 
and then surgery. Oh, you know, this is, this is clicking. And I much rather put in an 18 hour day in the operating room than a 12 hour day wrote rounding on the floors mm-hmm. or, you know, being in the clinic. And so surgery became more appealing and throughout this whole process, people are like, Oh, you're going to be North peak surgeon. You're going to be North peak surgeon. I didn't even really know what that entailed. And they were right, you know, just started doing it as a student, you're not doing much, you're seeing it, you're experiencing, you're getting involved in a little bit, but it just clicked in my head. You're, we are essentially carpenters within the medical world. And it, it made sense work with my hands, use drills and saws and put things back together and get a little immediate gratification. You know, if someone's got a broken hip and you fix it and they go from not being able to walk to walk and mm-hmm. that that's cool. And you don't get that a lot in medicine. Yeah. So it, all those things together pushed me towards orthopedic surgery. And within hand, it was also one of those things that just also felt right. I like the idea that you get a little, little extra training and dealing with the soft tissues. It's not just bone work, work with tendons and ligaments and nerves. And you also get a little more diverse type of patient population. You can work with the youngest of kids and the oldest of people and the highest level of athletes. And within that, there's going to be hand issues that any of them may have. And so you can kind of carve out a niche that you like. And all of those were appealing to me. And plus, I get to sit down more often, (laughs) sit down while I operate, (laughs) gentleman's surgery. Your Instagram, one of my intros to your work was your awesome Instagram channel. And you show some of your, uh, I love, I'm ready to watch one of your videos. Instagram says sensitive content. Do you sure you want to watch this? Like (laughs) you have to like click twice before your video comes on because you're showing. Yeah. Yeah. Third, the one that might've been the carpal tunnel where you reattach the finger flexor tendons and you open the hand up. And you show, and you're pulling the thumb, yeah. and you're seeing the tendon, the flexors move back and forth. That was incredible, man! It's really cool. Yeah. Well, thank you. And yeah, you know, I've strayed into the world of social media, and I guess my motivations were that I want people to become a little more familiar with what I do and what other orthopedic surgeons do, what it's like, and hopefully that helps reduce their anxieties about being treated by us or having their own injuries. And then there's, I think there's a curiosity that people will have that hopefully is satisfied a little bit with seeing those things. So hopefully it's been valuable. (laughs) One of the other videos that really caught my attention, you removed of the tumor, like that was a beast and you kind of opened up the forearm and you showed it in the arm, but then you, then the exact thing would it look like you showed it on the table. Like that was wild. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, it, the human body, it's its amazing. You're talking about me kind of doing a video of pulling on tendons and, you know, we're these complex, amazing machines. And sometimes a little hiccup happens and people get a mass, a tumor, and it's got to be removed. And, and yeah, so that, that was one of those cases. And it's also amazing how, how patients can kind of just ignore something for a while. Yeah. It got pretty big. Uh, Especially guys too. Guys yeah. can like work forever before. <laughs> oh, oh yes. The, the power of, of the male mind in trying to ignore and working around medical issues is pretty amazing. And I, I'm no different. I, I fall into the same traps and it's interesting. Connecting your medical practice with jujitsu. There's a bunch of people that train that listen to the podcast Common injuries in BJJ. We spoke about earlier about longevity on like people want to stay on yeah. the mat. 
real easy to stay on the mat when you're 20, 25, 30, right? I mean, not that hard. I mean, right. people, they yeah. can get hurt, but it's not, not uncommon. You could do 10 rounds, get up, do it the next day, right? Right. Like, you know, at 45, I felt I was literally in my head bulletproof to 45. At 45, I got knee barred. I blew my ACL out on the mat. had to get ACL mm. surgery. Took me 10 oh, months. No. You know what I mean? At the graph, 10 yeah. months, I'm back. It's like it never happened. But great. Uh, yeah. But what, what are some of the common injuries you see in BJJ and maybe how to avoid them where we could stay on the mat longer? Sure. Yeah. I mean, like any sport, any sport that could be basketball, it could be golf, injuries happen. And, you know, but Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is a little more overt in how injuries can happen. Fortunately, you can tap, you can not be in the situations that hurt, uh, but accidents still happen. Unpredictable things still can happen. And, and, you know, sometimes it's fairly serious. There's always things like the ACL injury that you mentioned, whether it's the knee bar or the heel hook or just the weird fall. Um, Those bad things happen. And, and, you know, it's certainly not unique to, to, to jujitsu, but ACL injuries happen. And part of the problem is that our knee joints are not perfect. It's this round ball on top of a flat table supported by ligaments. And sometimes when those bones shift, the ligaments have to go. And the ACL is very susceptible to injury. And unfortunately, our best option for that is is a reconstructive surgery. And as you mentioned, it, it, it takes a while to come back from it. Fortunately, surgeons, orthopedic surgeons have gotten pretty good at dealing with ACL injuries. And so people, what used to be a career render or a career changer mm-hmm. now is, is a setback uh, mm-hmm. for the most, for the most part. Yeah. Um, there's always issues with the back. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, back pain is one of the most common reasons to see a doctor. Uh, and most people don't do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So back issues come up. Jiu-jitsu is, a, is something that certainly stresses the back. Um, the guard game, getting inverted, all that kind of stuff puts pressure on the neck. The lower back is stressed anytime you're trying to lift people. Um, <laughs> I recently put up a video about the twister on my YouTube channel. Oh, so that stresses your whole so back. That's horrible. The twister is <laughs> so bad. Yeah. And uh, so people, you know, fortunately, the most part, it's a strain, sprain, and it's a matter of time and recovery and rehab. Uh, I'll emphasize the rehab. You really got to give yourself time to recover and strengthen the right muscles. And part of that is getting your core right. Your your your, and that's not just your abs. It's the muscles around your pelvis, the 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 leg, big leg muscles. All of that contribute to lower back things. Mm-hmm. So uh, flexibility, range of motion, strength, and letting your body recover are all crucial to, to, um, preventing injury and getting through, um, uh, setbacks. And then as a hand surgery, I'd be remiss to not mention the the common hand injuries. Um, fingers get twisted, especially in the gi. Yeah. Uh, the gi adds a, a certain level of unpredictability when you're using grips and especially when people are breaking the grips or moving around and, and, uh, so finger twisting injuries happen uh, fairly frequently. And those are fortunately often sprains. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, finger sprains can be symptomatic for three to six months. Yeah. 
sometimes the twist is so bad, the bones break. And, and then that's a, a whole other issue. Uh, prevention for that for me, um, I wear these kind of gloves that essentially buddy tape my, my fingers together. I get the, the Spock hand or the really? Ninja we're, Turtle we're hand. Do you, is it tape or is it like a glove you slide on? Well, I used to tape. I used to tape my hands like that all the time. And now it's an actual glove, the Graps glove. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. Um, really? Okay. And so I, I wear those at any time I train. So like if you were and, if you did a couple rounds, like if you, were, if you were taking a class and doing a couple rolls afterwards, you're wearing the Graps gloves? I'm always wearing the gloves. Well, how do you spell uh, that? During training. How, how do you spell that? It's a company. The company is G-R-A-P-P-Z. Okay. And it's the Grap Gloves. And, uh, Very cool. I'm a big fan of buddy taping. And these Graps gloves just efficiently buddy tape your fingers. They're washable, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's nice. It's easier to deal with than tape. So uh, the buddy taping is huge to prevent injuries. And, and then for me personally, just because I have to be extra cautious with my hands as a surgeon, it's rare that I put on a gi. Uh, really? That's kind of okay. just... Some, something to make my my career and my hobby work together. I, I've kind of had the compromise. It's pretty rare I put on a gi just because of the unpredictability on the, on my fingers. Yeah. The one question I had to ask you is like, I know some doctors. I'm like, hey, you should train jujitsu with us. Come to our academy. Like, I need my hands. I get injured. I can't operate or I can't treat. Yeah. Where are you with that? Like you just, so you go no gi? How do you yeah. So that? 99% of the time I'm no gi. I am always wearing my Graps gloves or at least buddy taping. I'm also, I've been in the game for a while and that makes it a little easier for me to control the situations I'm in, not be surprised by things. And that having that helps reduce injury. And then also I, I tap early, you know, if someone has something, Hey, good job. Lessons learned. Uh, I have to work. <laughs> I have to go to work tomorrow. I want to pick up my daughter. I've got other things. And so uh, that's a big, big thing for me to prevent injuries. So you mentioned tap. One of my favorite videos that you posted is you and Jocko Wellink. You you talk about, hey, I got this great move when the guy has you in the guillotine or something like that. And Jocko's a monster. He has you in this like oh, arm yes. and guillotine. And I'm like, all right, how's, how's he getting out of this? And you just go... You just tap and you go, I get yep. to go to work. I get to show up tomorrow and I'm not injured. I win or something like that. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's valuable. And it was great that Jocko, you know, d- made that available to people. You know, everyone sees him as this manly man who's, and he is a beast. He's uh, an, a great role model, but I think people might in, take what he says and sees like, never quit, never tap, never. And no, it's a learning. It's a chance to learn. It's a chance to not be injured and be able to get back to things the next day. And so tapping, while it sucks, it's never great. I never am happy I'm tapping. It also makes it so I can stay in the game and do all the other things I need to do. And, you know, I'm a orthopedic surgeon, black belt, and I'm intending on doing both of these for a very long time. And knowing how to tap and not seeing it as the end of the world is crucial to staying in the game. And yeah, keep going with it. Thank you for sharing that. That longevity, 
and ego, a lot of common themes that we're speaking of here and awareness and knowing when you're in a bad situation and just being able to tap and move on to the next one. No one's going to remember that you or I tapped to something tomorrow, let alone six weeks from now. But if you let someone twist like a a toehold and you're like, you know what? This person's a purple belt. I'm a black belt. I'm not tapping to this purple belt. And uh, your foot's going to feel that next summer. Way after, like six months from now, you're going to still feel that non-tap where if you just tapped and moved on, no one's going to remember that. Sometimes humans, we're so in our heads that we're our own worst (laughs) enemy, you know? Oh yeah. Yes. The, the mental side, (laughs) sometimes is very helpful. Sometimes it's not. And especially as we get older, you know, the injuries don't heal as fast and it lingers and, you know, you have an ACL injury. That's a year where you're out. Whereas if you just tap back the next day. So. Yeah, real quick before we move on to a part of the interview we call "Share Your Secrets," Victory MMA. I've been to San Diego a couple of times. Never went in and trained yet. That's definitely on my bucket list. But you have two yeah. instructors there that, to me, are like the yin and the yang, the fire and ice. You got Dean Lister, who is just an all-time Hall of Fame like beast. I think Jocko calls him a mutant on his show. Like he's just strength, yeah. lower body attacks, like just a monster, right? Like the boogeyman, basically. And then you have Jeff Glover, who's like this flowy, like, like not that. Like, how would you, right. how would you describe their teaching styles and wh- what have you learned from each of them? Sure. So, well, unfortunately, Jeff has gone on to do his own thing more recently. Jeff, please come back. If you hear this, we, we would all love to have you more consistently at Victory. He's still a friend and, you know, he'll come by every once in a while. But I was there and very fortunate when both were there. And you're right. They're both very different. It's a great example of, you know, it's the same sport, but it's very different in, in the techniques they use and the physicality of it all. And even just the mentality that they bring to it. And it was really valuable to see that, you know, so San Diego in general is great. There's so many high level jujitsu guys. And then just at victory, you know, having world-class, smaller guy, world-class, big guy, and then everything in between, it's an amazing opportunity. And it really opened my eyes and helped me transition from that brown belt to black belt level of kind of finding what works for me. And I got to see a lot. I got to see probably more than most people get to see as far as styles and Mm -hmm attitudes towards a technique and positions and kind of go, Oh, I really like what Dean's doing here, but I really like how Jeff finishes there. Mm -hmm. And, and so that was, that was great and a very valuable experience and awesome. Just really fortunate to have had that experience and victory is a great gym. And the, the, that, you know, the diversity of jujitsu is still there. There's lots of different black belts, lots of different ways of doing things. There's people who are hobbyists, and then there's people who are high-level competition guys, and then there's the MMA guys, which is a whole other game, mm-hmm. gi, no gi. It's a, it's a really great gym. That's awesome. You just mentioned what's so great about jiu-jitsu. You can basically define your own journey, even within a school where you're all gi, you're all no gi, you're MMA, you're competitive, you're a hobbyist there three, four times a week, just there to stay in shape and, be, and have those micro gains in your jiu-jitsu world. It's so cool where you can define what it looks like and they let you be your own person where you are, let your own journey unfold 
inside that academy. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Jiu-jitsu. It, at first, you're learning kind of the techniques. This is this. This is this. Black and white. And you really kind of will learn what your instructor teaches you. But as you go, your personality can come out. Your aptitudes can come out. Some people are really strong. Some people have great cardio. Some people are super flexible. And the techniques are all going to be different. And as you grow and evolve and change, your style is going to become yours. <laughs> Within what is your own style, I'm changing. Uh, my jujitsu is very different than it was five years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and it's to accommodate my, you know, my career, my goals, my job. And I do things very differently. And a big thing for me recently is movement. It may not win competitions. It might gave up, give up positions if I was in a good place, but it's not fun for me. I want to move. I want to flow. I want to trap people. I want to you know win in that chess match of movement. So movement has been a more important thing for me the last few years. And then also rolling with guys like Jocko and, and Dean and these other just beasts. I'm not going to be able to go strength for strength. Uh, I'm not going to be able to do that tight fight for the inches game. It's, it's not going to work. So I, I had to kind of evolve a game of movement and misdirection and keeping some space, even though I'm attacking. And that jujitsu kind of flows into your medical career. You have to evolve, adapt, grow. There's always something new to learn. There's always more to learn, right? The knowledge of the medical side is growing daily. Same thing with jujitsu. You're always something to learn, always something to evolve or adapt here, right? Always, always more to learn. There's, you're never at the pinnacle. There's never uh, you know, oh, I got it. I'm no, done. Never. Uh, you're, that's when you're both. done. That's when you, you think you got it. That's when you're done in medicine. That's when you're done in jujitsu, right? When you think, oh, I got Agreed. it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's when trouble starts happening. It's in trouble. So that's awesome. I just want to switch over to a part of the interview we call Share Your Secrets so our listeners can get to know you a bit more as a person. Yeah. How about with the black belt to the MMA to the medical degree to being a noted orthopedic hand surgeon? What's the biggest challenge? you ever faced? Uh, well, I, you know, I've been very fortunate to not have major tragedy in my life. I've never lost a leg. I, I have all my limbs and my capacities to do things. So, you know, relatively speaking, I've, I've been really fortunate. I've never had to deal with incredible challenges that other people have to deal with. Uh, certainly there are challenges along the way, I guess a time that forced me to really adapt was when I was doing MMA training like a professional fighter, but still trying to do residency and be good at that. And it was valuable in that I learned my limitations. I was able to find new heights of what I could achieve. You know, I, if I hadn't tried to do that, I, I probably wouldn't be where I'm at now. And of course, along with all that, I was moving. I remember specifically, I was moving houses and that and a whole other thing. So that was probably the most just kind of intense stress, physical, mental time that I had to deal with. That's basically a step-by-step, moment-by-moment, and just keep grinding, keep doing it. And grind. The only grind. way out is through, right? The only way out is yes. through it. No, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. How about... Can you think of your most successful failure? Can you think of a favorite failure that you had that set you up most for a future success? There have been a lot of failures, a lot of things that I tried to achieve and couldn't, uh, not yet at least, <laughs> um, uh, a lot of things that I thought was the goal and 
it didn't happen. You know, a school I wanted to be admitted to, a thing that I wanted to have happen, and it didn't happen. And I think throughout it all, it's always been valuable to kind of try to see the good that comes from it and to go along with that experience of trying to be an MMA fighter, professional MMA fighter, and an orthopedic surgery resident. In the end, I failed. My body gave out. I ended up in the hospital. I let my classmates down because I wasn't working. They had to pick up the extra slack. And so that that was also a big down. Um, I, I was letting people down. I let myself down. And, you know, it was a failure of sorts. But as I kind of alluded to, I found new heights I could achieve. And the lessons being, you know, I have to also realign my priorities. You know, what am I doing? I mean, I like MMA. I like that challenge, but I'm not going to, it's not going to be my career. I'm going to be an orthopedic surgeon. Like let's be an orthopedic surgeon. So I could double down on being an orthopedic surgeon, knowing where I was at uh, within all my other things in life and be that much more comfortable and knowing that's what was meant for me. Yeah, that, that awareness is huge. And that comes in and you realize what the main goal is and keep the main thing, the main thing. It's, uh, it's, it's, that's big. Yeah, that's awesome. Most high achievers like yourself have some sort of daily routine, either in the morning or at the night. What's your routine look like? Are you a morning person, night person? And what's that routine look like to get you Yeah. Going? Uh, so it, one, it's constantly evolving and changing. I also will say there's a lot of unpredictability to my schedule as it is now. I, I do still take a lot of call. I've got a, a youngish daughter who, you know, she's a priority and <laughs> you know, things come up with that. So family, job, that's somewhat unpredictable. So it's hard to have a routine, though I love having a routine. And forever, I was a night person. When everyone was asleep, I'd be up for an extra two hours. And that's kind of when I would chip away at work or kind of have some, some my time to myself. But it makes it really hard to then get up really early in the morning and then operate at seven in the morning and that kind of <laughs> stuff. So over the years, I've, I've kind of tried to be better at being a morning person. Certainly, mm-hmm. guys like Jocko have been an influence on that. Crazy. And now the, now the protected time that I try to have is in the morning. And I guess my, my ideal day would be getting up at 5, 5.30 maybe. I recently, for the past year or so, I've been trying to carve out, essentially it's a meditation, uh, uh, this, this breathing technique yeah. that I've been learning. Just 20 minutes, you know, get this going. You can do a lot of things with it, along with that positive mental imagery that I worked on way back when and kind of get ready for the day. And then I try to get some exercise. And that's various things, kettlebells, row machine, jogging, Mm-hmm. whatever it may be. And then maybe chip away a little bit at, at some work that's pressing, answer some emails. Yep. And then in the perfect world, I'd walk my daughter to school and then go to work. <laughs> awesome. How old's your daughter? She's six. Awesome. That's a great age. I got a 10-year-old daughter. So it's uh, they're great. They're the best. It's awesome. It's where, awesome. Are you, where are you with yoga, with jujitsu? I got real into it two, three years ago. In my head, it might be psychosomatic. I feel it keeps me on the mat longer. Like I feel like I get injured less when I have a yoga practice going along with my jujitsu practice. What's your experience? Yeah. What do you think about it? So I have done a little bit of yoga. I've experimented with it and I have nothing against it. And, but it just wasn't something that I found myself really wanting to make time for. Sure. However, I know a lot of people who love it and have had the experience you do. And 
I think there is something to be said with yoga and, you know, there's lots of different types, but there is something to be said about the stretching and maintaining range of motion. Uh, depending on the type of yoga you have, there's a balance component to it. So I think it can be very valuable. Uh, and also depending on the type of yoga, there's a meditative part sure. of it too. Yeah. So it's a moment of mental rest, we'll call it, even though you're you may be committing some thought to things, but it clears the other stuff. And so, and I'm, and, you know, people will ask me kind of, what do you think about this? And what do you think about this? And it can be all kinds of, and my thing is whatever you like to do and you're going to keep doing, yeah, do it, you know? Makes sense. Yeah. It's so weird. Yoga the weird is a relative term, but like you're sitting there with these peace and Zen people and you're like meditating, you're flowing, it's hot yoga, it's 103 degrees, you're sweating your butt off, but I'm doing it like fast forward the next day, I'm in the academy with these tatted dudes that are trying to rip your head off. I'm like, how does that get you ready for this? Like, it's so weird. Yeah. But it does. It, I feel my it's head. Balance. Yeah. It's a balance. Yeah. It's a total balance. Counterweights to each other. Yeah, that's great. How about this? Is there a book that impacted your life or changed your mind more than any other? Do you have a favorite book? So the first book that I read that I remember when closing it and just kind of like, whoa, I got to think about this and feeling something and mm -hmm. going, man, books are amazing. It was For Whom the Bell Tolls, Ernest yeah. Hemingway. Absolutely. And I think it, it might've been mandatory reading from like a freshman or sophomore year class in high school. And, and you know, I'm sure other people have read it and liked it. And it's not unique in thinking that, but it was just kind of the first book where it's in the adult themes and you think about these higher level thoughts and, you know, there's war and, and who can you trust and how people work together and all these things that, that kind of gave me so much to think about. And then I don't want to do spoil it for anyone, but the ending is not exactly a happy one. Yeah. And uh, so, it, yeah, it, that, that left an indelible mark and kind of, kept me into books and reading because mm -hmm. of the way it made me feel. But along with that question, I haven't read a lot of books multiple times, but a book that I did come back to recently, The Road, Cormac, Cormac McCarthy. McCarthy. Yeah, my goodness. <laughs> and, you know, I think I read it when I was in college and, oh, wow, what an amazing book. What a good book. And then they make a movie out of it. Oh, okay. You know, but now that I have a kid. Yeah. That Ooh. book hit so different. Yeah. And uh, man, I, I, you know, I, I still catch myself kind of thinking about it. And amazing book, amazing story, gives you a lot to think about. And man, as a father, it, it's a whole other level that maybe you don't understand until you are a father. Yeah. And then I read that again over COVID and it just hits you differently yeah. with a kid. Yeah. How about speaking of COVID, medicine and jujitsu, there are two things, especially in California, ridiculously yeah. affected by COVID shutdown. What lessons did you learn? Yeah. Or what were your takeaways from, from the year and a half we all spent inside? You know, yeah, certainly life-changing for about a year there. I didn't didn't have my jujitsu. So I had to figure out some other ways to exercise and and find balance to the medicine that I was doing. And I discovered some cool new ways of working out. Steel maces are pretty cool. I realized that I'd let my shoulders get into a bad place so I could really kind of focus on rehabbing my shoulders. So it was valuable in that regard. As a doctor who is doing crucial work, 
it didn't affect my job that much. There was about six weeks where I wasn't working the same amount. Certainly elective surgeries were shut down, uh, but we figured it out and we found new and different ways of making what we used to do work again in a different way. And I think for me coming out of the COVID-19 issues was that that's kind of illuminating kind of the resilience of society that if it's really important, we can make it happen. Yep. And, and <laughs> I guess, you know, a part of it that I, you know, I came out with some strong belief in humanity. We can be resilient. We can adapt. We can change. We can find new ways of doing things. But I guess a, a disappointment that came out of it was just the, the politicization of a virus that doesn't care about politics. Mm-hmm. And certainly science is imperfect, especially when you're dealing with a novel virus. And we didn't know how to deal with it. And a lot of lessons were learned. But the fact that it became so political, people kind of forgot what mattered. You know, the, the overall health of people is what mattered the most. And a lot of people, I think, lost that on either side of the political yeah. spectrum. So yeah. that, that was a disappointment for me. And hopefully some lessons came out of that too. Yeah, I like what you said there, resilience, and we figured it out. You just, you stay on it. And at some point you find a way out and you find a way through. It's great. Yes. About looking out to the new year of 2023, what's the most exciting project you're working on now? Yeah, I'm still excited about my work as an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, I'm fortunate in that I find reward and pleasure and gratification from the job I do. So I'm excited that that's still exciting, but I've also kind of realized and COVID was also a a catalyst for this was there's things outside of medicine and there are things outside of my hobbies of jujitsu. And I've started this fledgling YouTube channel, which is so different than anything I've ever tried to do. Uh So it's exciting in that it's new, it's different. I'm developing new skills and I think it's also combining the things that I like to do with medicine and mm-hmm. jujitsu and combat sports and trying to help people understand their injuries and prevent injuries. And it's exciting. It's fun to, to tackle this project. Is that cutting to the bone? Is that the station? Correct. Yeah. yeah that's the name of the channel. That's Cut great. To the bone. No, I, I just subscribed this week. It's really awesome. good. Yeah. A couple of fun questions to wrap up here, to be respectful of your time. Uh, Dr. Luke, if you could have everyone listening, take just one lesson away from everything we discussed. Mm-hmm. What would that lesson be? I think what you call them, the micro goals, the, the small changes, that's how you achieve big things. It's chipping away. It's grinding away. It's doing things that you may not want to do at that moment and achieving the small things, which build, turn into bigger things, which turn into the big goal. And it all starts with, it's cliche, but it's true. You know, the, the trip of a thousand miles starts with a single step and, and you can't see the thousand mile trip. You got to see it as I'm going to walk to that point and I'm going to walk to that point. So yeah, that, that's what got me to where I'm at. And I continue, I will continue. It's almost like when you're driving through the fog, right? You can't see 500 yards ahead of you, but you can see 20 feet. And you can drive from Philly to San Diego 20 feet at a time, right? To see what's right oh, directly yeah. in front of you, right? Yeah. And, and you can't panic. You know, yeah. Oh, man, I don't yes. see. I don't see. I don't see. It. No, you pick up some cues. You see the lanes on the yeah. other side of you. And 
maybe you go a little slower, <laughs> be willing to change direction, but you can do it. You can do it. Uh, two more fun questions to wrap up. Uh, Dr. Luke, if you could spend the day with anyone, historical figure, jujitsu teacher, alive or dead, who would you spend the day with? Oh, this is always such a hard question. On a personal level, I would really have liked to have met my grandpa. He died when my dad was very young. So we never, my dad didn't really get to know him. And certainly, you know, the next generation didn't get to know him. But I think he embodies kind of the the resilience that I'd like to think I have. He survived. He was one of the few people in his family to have gotten out of Europe and survived what happened with World War II. By all accounts, he was hard worker. He knew seven languages. He somehow made it to the United States and was able to grind away. And and now he's got six grandchildren that he doesn't know, but five of them have doctorates in some in something. Wow! And uh, you know, it's kind of the American dream that he was able to make happen. And it would be really cool to have known him and met him. So yeah, that that's I guess the that where I'm at right now. That's phenomenal. Where, where was he born? We think now uh, we think it's probably Belarus, but it could okay. have been Lithuania. Okay. The borders kind of changed a lot at that time. That's fantastic. And you said five or seven people have doctorates after their name. Yeah. So the, the grandchildren, so, five of the six have doctorates. And the other person who doesn't have a doctorate, he's successful in his own right. He just didn't want to go into all the school we've gone into. That, that's all. Now, kudos to your grandfather. Wow. What a remarkable person. Last question. Dr. Luke, if you had to get a quote or a saying tattooed on your body, what would that quote or motto say? So a quote that has always resonated with me, The Man in the Arena yeah. by, by Roosevelt. And that's a long quote. <laughs> uh, so, I usually, <laughs> yeah. so I usually fall in kind of the last part of it uh, where, and his place will never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory nor defeat. That's, you know, a life well lived and it's not the critic that counts. I tried and maybe I failed, but I got back up again. Wow. I tried and maybe I failed, but I got back up again. I think that is about as good as a spot to end as any. Dr. Luke, I want to end on one of my favorite quotes I dug up online that you said of yours. I quote Dr. Luke Pomerantz, my story is one of showing up no matter what. Keep grinding. Before you know it, you will have achieved quite a bit and there is always more to do. I stand by that quote. I don't know when I said it, but you grabbed it. (laughs) That was awesome. Dr. Luke, if people are looking for you, your YouTube station, your Instagram, where can we find you online? Yeah. My Instagram, dr underscore Lucius, Dr. Lucius. My YouTube channel is cut to the bone. You know, stuff out there. I'm out in San Diego. Hopefully none of you all need to see me as a patient. Next time I'm out in San Diego, we'll love to spend a couple hours at Victory, get my butt kicked and train with you monsters out in Victory. I'd love it. Awesome. Dr. Luke, I wish you nothing but success on the mat, in the operating room. I hope to stay in touch and thank you for joining us. It's been an honor to have you on the show. Thank you. It's been an honor for me. Hey, it's Joe Chicarone. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you could, please leave us a five-star review. It goes a long way with connecting the podcast with more listeners. So if you could, I would really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Talk soon.